bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome to The New American Daily. I'm your host, Paul Dragu. Relations between the U.S. and China have become more antagonistic over the last few years. There have been multiple skirmishes in the South China Sea between the nations. The Chinese are pushing fentanyl into the U.S., and they're taking other actions that indicate we could end up in war with them. Now, my colleague, Steve Bonta, who's the executive senior editor of The New American, recently conducted an interview with China expert Stephen Mosher. Without further ado, here's the interview. Welcome, everybody. Well, today we're going to return in some detail to a topic that we talk about quite often in this program, which is, of course, our fraught relationship with the People's Republic of China, the world's now the world's second most populous country, certainly uh, the largest and possibly the most fearsome communist dictatorship the world has ever seen. Uh, the relationship between the United States and China, this weird pas de deux that's been going on for, for literally decades, has recently taken some very interesting turns. So we have again, again with us Stephen Mosher, who's one of the top experts on China many decades. He, has a, a, he studied anthropology at Stanford University. He has done, back, back before it was common for Western researchers to do anything of this sort, he, he did uh, anthropological research in Guizhou province in a, a very remote, even today, a fairly remote backwards part of, of China where f that foreigners seldom visit. And uh, he speaks uh, Chinese. He's a, he's a tremendous expert on the subject. He is also the, the founder and the head of the Population Research Institute. Uh, Stephen, welcome to our show. Great to have you again. Be back with you again. All right. Well, to, so to start out, I mean, uh, uh, we're, we're sort of living in the post-COVID world now. A lot of the furor about, uh, about COVID has died down, at least in the mainstream media, although, of course, there are many issues left unresolved. We may, we may get to them today. But m m the, China has been in the news very recently after several years of incredibly tense relations with the United States and indeed most of the Western world, countries like uh, the Philippines and Australia and Japan have been kind of on the front lines and, and have been in the receiving end of a lot of the, the Chinese communist party, Xi Jinping's uh, personal animus and all this sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, it looks like China has sort of pivoted uh, a couple weeks ago, less than two weeks ago, Xi Jinping, the current supreme leader, president, dictator uh, of, of, of communist China, traveled to San Francisco for the APEC conference. And it, within the context of that conference, met with President Joe Biden for the first time with Biden being president of the United States. He knows Xi. He's met him before when he was vice president. But uh, this was his first time meeting him um, face to face where they're both heads of state. And after that meeting, there was a lot of Bonami. Biden did call him a dictator again. But other than that, China appears to be willing to let bygones be bygones. And everybody's happy. My, 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 my contacts and friends in China tell me that everyone's very optimistic now about the future of U.S. and Chinese relations. And after all, things are OK. We're friends and there's not going to be a war and everything's hunky dory. What say you to all of this? Well, I think that Joe Biden, in a rare moment of candor, was absolutely correct when he called Xi Jinping a dictator. Look, he runs what the Chinese Communist Party calls the People's Democratic Dictatorship. 
uh, which is its totalitarian rule over the Chinese people. So if if the Chinese Communist Party admits that it's running a a, a dictatorship, then the head of that dictatorship is obviously a dictator. Now we did we did see we did see uh, Anthony Blinken and some other uh, senior officials trying to walk back that comment because they're trying to continue the bonhomie. They're trying to continue the, the to give the impression impression that we have actually uh, solved major issues between ourselves and China and that things are going to be smooth sailing from now on. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, let's let's think about the uh, the agreements that uh, that uh, Joe Biden supposedly signed with Xi Jinping. Right. Uh, the restoration of high level military communications, reducing fentanyl exports to the U.S., not militarizing artificial intelligence and, of course, uh, accelerating the transition from coal iron and gas generation to green energy sources like wind and solar power. Uh, none of those things uh, stand up to close scrutiny. I mean, look, past military exchanges have followed a standard pattern. Uh, we show them our cutting edge technology. Uh, we take them to the factories where we make uh, uh, our, our uh, top flight weapons. Uh, they show us a broken down factory making World War II artillery pieces and tanks. Uh, that's the way it goes. Uh, the Chinese side is always spying and, of course, keeping us from seeing anything interesting. And as far as the hotline is concerned, I remember, I'm old enough to remember, uh, during the Tiananmen massacre of June 4th, 1989, when George Herbert Walker Bush picked up his phone and tried to use the hotline to call Deng Xiaoping, his old friend Deng Xiaoping, as he called him at the time, the, the then dictator of China. And guess what? Uh, Deng Xiaoping did not answer. Hotlines have never worked with China. Uh, you know, when, when they took hmm. down one of our surveillance planes, an EP-3, yeah. uh, back yeah. in 2001, uh, we called up and said, look, one of your uh, fighter jets just ran into one of our planes, forced it to land on Hainan Island, uh, and uh, we'd like to resolve the issue. Nobody picked up on the Chinese side. Nobody will pick up ever, uh, because what general, uh, what senior official is going to pick up a call from the United States in the event of a crisis, they would be accused of a traitorous action. Of yeah. course, we can talk yeah, about yeah. that. No, and yeah. I, mean, I mean, we remember the Hainan incident, and of course, you know, if had it not been for the fact that occurred in April, if my memory serves, in April of 2001, and it yeah. was the top international news story up right, right up through September 10th of that year. And then on September 11th, our, we, we, we were distracted, shall we say. And... Um, I don't think people talk enough about how, how September 11th was, was, was so beneficial for China because it caused us to forget about what happened for all practical purposes in Hainan, the incident you mentioned, which has been all but relegated to the memory hole. And that allowed China both to embark on its 20-plus year program of militarizing the South China Sea, very advanced now, and also, of course, its enormous economic expansion, which dates to its accession to the World Trade Organization, really, um, in its current form, and that, that happens soon thereafter as well. So, but things have changed now, right? I mean, uh, China doesn't get, a, doesn't get a free ride anymore yeah. post-COVID. So I, I was personally affected uh, by 9-11, by as we all were, but in this way, because up to before 9-11, I was actually helping the uh, FBI with counter-espionage efforts in the U.S. I was going from major, from the FBI headquarters to the New York City headquarters. I was going to other... Uh, offices of the FBI talking to the counterintelligence groups that had been set up uh, in 2000, 2001, specifically to deal with uh, Chinese espionage. And all of a sudden, after 9-11, uh, 
All of those uh, that counter espionage uh, groups were 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 told to stand down, and everything was refocused on counterterrorism. So we took our eye off the ball there for the next oh I don't know 15 years. Uh, we stopped paying attention to espionage carried out by the Chinese Communist Party in the U.S. And of course they carried off uh, the crown jewels. I mean they were stealing, and are still stealing hundreds of billions of dollars in intellectual property from us uh, every year. Uh, so that's what happened. I was I was there. Yeah, and, and and now we profess to be shocked, shocked that there are you know secret Chinese police stations and networks of informants on university campuses, and obviously all the you know the, the industrial espionage that's been going on, uh, balloon, spy balloons floating over U.S. bases, and suddenly we, it's dawned on us. Wait a minute, maybe these guys aren't as friendly as they've been portrayed for the last really, I'd say more than thirty years. You know that the tendency of the Western press has been to pre- present them as such. But but you know it, now now. Another issue that, that I'd, I'd like to talk about, a very specific thing that's been going on recently, is this dispute with the Philippines over a particular shoal. I believe it's called the Thomas Shoal, which is within the Philippines' um, economic zone that the Philippines are trying very hard to maintain control of. It's not much. It barely peaks up above, above uh, the water at low tide, but it's very rich in fish and the China, of course, as with pretty much all the rest of the South China Sea, is claimed as, a, as its own. But the Philippines went and grounded a naval vessel there a few years back, and they maintain a permanent rotating crew of, uh, of Filipino Marines, and they have to re- resupply them every month. And in, the, in recent weeks and months, these monthly resupply missions have become very perilous because the Chinese have started uh, water cannoning and lasering and even ramming Philippine relief vessels. And this has posed a very critical problem. Remember when the only uncertainty in the news was the weather forecast? And you could depend on your local newspaper to bring you the news with only a hint of bias. Nowadays, there's a deluge of news outlets striving for your attention. But surprisingly, all the narrative is from one direction. At The New American, we hold fast to the timeless truths of our founders and provide a refuge of honest reporting. Visit thenewamerican.com today and get 25% off your subscription. Folks, for more news and in-depth analysis from The New American Magazine, the kind that you will not get anywhere else, make sure you have a subscription to our twice-monthly print edition of the magazine. The New American Magazine has been telling the truth about the attacks on our nation from within and without since 1985. No other magazine has been as accurate and for as long about where policy and culture were heading than the new American. We are ahead on COVID tyranny, on the lethality of the shots, on the coming migrant invasion, and many other issues that we are now experiencing. You can get a subscription online at thenewamerican.com. Just hit the magazine tab on top and then subscribe on the drop down. If you prefer, you can call for a subscription, you can call 800-727-8783 Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 Central Time. That is 800-727-8783 Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 Central Time. While everyone's focused on Taiwan and what the U.S. may or may not do if China makes a move on Taiwan, meanwhile, here's a longtime treaty-bound U.S. ally and moreover an ally where we're starting to reestablish a military presence in that China is openly committing acts of, of physical aggression 
which what one might say gives the Philippines uh, casus belli and by extension would drag us in. What, what do you think is the likely outcome here? People are saying that, well, in a few more years, the boat will, will collapse into the water, it will rust away, and then the Chinese will just try to aggressively move in and, and take the shoal. It's not the first time that they've wrested contested islands from the Philippines, but it looks to me like it's starting to erode perhaps confidence in the Philippines and the rest of Asia that the U.S. can even be relied upon to come to their defense. Yeah, uh, China is is behaving aggressively uh, on all points of the compass, east, west, north, and south. Um, and and specifically with regard to the Philippines, you know, we have a UN uh, convention on, on the law of the sea. We call it the Law of the Sea Treaty, which right. establishes an exclusive economic zone of 200 miles uh, outward from, from any sovereign territory. And that's supposed to be an exclusive economic zone, a zone where you can exclusively fish and, and take advantage of mineral deposits uh, on the seabed and so forth. Uh, so these shoals are only 100, 100 miles or so from uh, Philippine sovereign territory. They're within the exclusive economic zone. They're 1,000 miles from China. And China is trying to take over the shoal. Now, if they succeed in doing it, they will do the same thing to this shoal uh, that they have done with other islands in the Paracels and, and in the Spratleys. They will bring out dredging equipment. And they will start dredging up sand and coral reefs from the surrounding area and pile it on top of this feature, which is underwater most of the time, until it becomes an artificial island, destroying the local environment, destroying the local ecosystem, destroying the local coral reefs. And on that artificial island, they will build a military base. And if they can make it large enough, they will build a runway where they can station uh, fighter jets. Uh, in any event, they will have a military detachment there. Uh, it will be a a military base run by the People's Liberation Army within 100 miles of the Philippine coast. Uh, that's their goal here. And they're using gray zone warfare to achieve that. What do I mean by gray zone? Well, they're not firing bullets at the Filipinos. They're firing water cannon, but you can kill someone with a water cannon just as well as you can with a bullet. Uh, you can also ram them and sink their ships. And Chinese Coast Guard vessels, including fishing vessels, are built with reinforced bows for precisely that purpose. If it sounds like we're in, back in the days of the the, the, the Roman uh, uh, triremes and right. the Greek, the Greek uh, galley ships with ramming speed, that's exactly what China is doing because they know that if they ram a vessel, it will not be uh, considered generally uh, to be an act of war. They can always claim that the, the navigational error was on the part of the Filipinos or the Japanese or whoever uh, they're ramming uh, these days. So uh, as a former naval officer uh, who transited, who was with the Seventh Fleet for several years and who transited the Taiwan Straits and, and the South China Sea on, on several occasions, uh, I can tell you that uh, these close maritime encounters where you have a dozen Chinese Coast Guard vessels around a single uh, Filipino ship are going to end in, in disaster. They will sink the Filipino ship before uh, this is over, unless we very clearly signal to China that we will help in uh, in the defense of the Philippines and start bolstering their ability to defend themselves. We are sending uh, anti-ship missiles now to the northern Philippine island of uh, Luzon, uh, which yes. helps control uh, that part of the exclusive economic zone that does belong to the Philippines. But I think we have to do more in that regard. Well, now, so, yeah, so, I mean, I mean, obviously, that, that, the, the northern Luzon assets, of course, enable us to control what goes through the Bashi Channel, which is a very 
it has to upset the Chinese. But I was going to say, remind me just exactly how many of these shoals and reefs have they have they militarized now? How many military bases do they have in the South China Sea? Like five or six now that have been fully built uh, up by this process you describe? The, the Chinese uh, attacked the uh, Vietnamese garrison in the Spratleys back in the 1990s and now control all of the Spratly Islands, uh, which are... Um, in the north of the South China Sea. And, and they, they've got a half dozen bases in the South China Sea in the Paracels. And of course, they even go as far south as uh, Indonesia. Yes. Uh, they claim the Tuna Islands at the south end of the South China Sea. And we're, we're 1,500 miles. I mean, this is sort of like uh, the United States claiming all of the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean. It's an extraordinary right. uh, territorial claim, which has no basis in historical fact or colonization or settlement whatsoever. It is simply a an outrageous claim by the Chinese Communist Party that it is now prepared to defend with military force. They're very upset when any other nation's vessels transit the South China Sea now without notifying them in advance. They're upset with the Australians. They're upset with the, the French. They're upset with the British. And of course, they're mostly uh, upset with the United States because we insist on freedom of, of navigation operations uh, through the South China Sea and through the Taiwan Straits on a regular basis. Uh, we keep sailing because every time we sail, says to China, these are international waters. Uh, they are not under your control. We do not have to report to you before transiting. Right, right. Well, then, of course, you know, People focus on the nine-dash line, which is a relatively recent geopolitical innovation. In fact, I mean, if you look at some of the maps, and, by, and we should add, by the way, that the Republic of China government shares some of these same beliefs. So it isn't exclusive to the Chinese Communist Party. The, a lot of these are old territorial claims that, that, that the Communist Party is placing special emphasis on because, let's face it, communists need enemies. That's part of the nature of the beast. But, you know, there are, there are plenty of maps that show, for example, uh, Palawan Island, the large island in the southwest of the Philippine archipelago, um, and also the Zamboanga Peninsula, part of the island of Mindanao, also part of the Philippines, as being, you know, part of China's ancient claim, you know, because at some point there was some poobah or prince on one of those islands that made some treaty um, pledging allegiance or, or, or something like that to, to some Chinese emperor. And the same is true with the Southeast Asian mainland, as far south as, as Singapore. Now, we haven't gotten to that point yet, but I would assume that if they're successful in annexing the entire sea, which hasn't really been done since the days of Mare Nostrum in the Roman Empire, um, that uh, that they're going to move on to bigger and better things. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Father Seamus O'Reilly, was... Uh, uh, one of the American missionaries, Columban missionaries in South China, in, in Jiangxi province, uh, when the Chinese Communist Party came, he was arrested, even, even though he was a Catholic priest and obviously wasn't involved in the Civil War, uh, and taken to the local office where uh, the map on the wall showed all of China, uh, that, chi that, that China included all of Southeast Asia, right. not just the South China Sea, but all of Southeast Asia, Vietnam, Cambodia, uh, and so and parts of Bur northern Burma, as well as all of Mongolia. Uh, the idea, of course, was that the Chinese Communist Party was going to reconstitute uh, not just the Qing dynasty with all of the territory that it controlled, but it was going to claim uh, sovereignty over any territory that had ever pledged uh, a tribute to the Chinese emperor. And in fact, any territory that had ever been visited uh, by Chinese vessels. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party actually claims that uh, 
that Chinese vessels discovered America in 1421, mm -hmm. uh, which could one day be the basis for yet another territorial claim. Yes, well, I mean, they, they already believe that Zhou Jinshan is, uh, is or ought to become Chinese as soon as possible. As far as I'm concerned, that's one thing that I almost agree with the, the CCU. They can have San Francisco, but uh, I, I'm being facetious, but still, uh, I get the point there. As a lumberjack, I've been cutting wood for decades. My job is pretty straightforward. I see the wood, I chop the wood. My axe goes through every time. You remember when everyone bought all the toilet paper? And they wanted me to wear these things. And someone invested a lot of money into this stuff. They say I'm part of a global plan. I don't think so. It's too hot, it's too cold. You know what? The weather changes. We even hear crazy ideas on how kids should learn. Here's the news, Dad. Is it, son? Is it? What about this one, Dad? Nope. It's hard to tell what's real and what's fake these days. There's just too much baloney out there. At the New American, they cut through the baloney and give me the truth. Visit thenewamerican.com and subscribe to get 50% off the cover price. And if you want an even better deal, use the promo code 10OFFSUB. Again, that's 10OFFSUB for more than 50% off. The New American has recently published our latest collector's edition bookazine. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. If we don't practice individual responsibility and learn to provide for ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. This polished collector's edition includes articles on a number of topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, financial self-reliance, and many other issues. We encourage you to get a copy. Heck, you should get two, one for you and another as a gift for someone else in your life. You can order copies at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop, or if you prefer, you can call for a subscription. Call 1-800-727-8783, Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 Central Time. That's 1-800-727-8783. We hope you'll get a few copies for you and your family. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's. I mean, everybody seems to be focused on Taiwan, but how many people know, for example, that China has quietly stolen as much as ten percent of the entire territory of Bhutan since the since the middle of the last decade, simply by moving into uninhabited Trans Himalayan valleys, setting up a, a Communist Party office and a police station, and saying, "Okay, now this belongs to us." And nobody cares about Bhutan, but in point of fact, away from the South China Sea and, and Taiwan, they also lay claim to any territory from the northeastern Indian state of Arunachal Pradesh through much of Nepal and obviously Ladakh, which is also Indian, most of the trans any territory that is or ever has been inhabited by people, by, by any Tibetan people, they, they pretty much claim as their own also. And it, it, it's just, it's extraordinary. This would sort of be like if the U.S. not just claimed jurisdiction over the Gulf of Mexico and most of the Caribbean, but hey, let's let's claim all of Mexico and all of Canada while we're in it, because at one time, of course, it was all British America. There should, for the, I mean, there, there's there's no end to this sort of rationale, and it's just it it's so, you know. But but getting back to I, I suppose current events, let's talk about Taiwan for a couple minutes. Do you think looking at the the, the geographical and military 
realities that there is likely to be a war over Taiwan in the in the near future? Well, I think that that uh, China's uh, window of opportunity is basically the next year uh, when we have a weak and uh, and listless, not to say demented president, hmm. uh, Joe Biden in office, uh, who's been compromised, he and his family by Chinese money and who has at every turn uh, tried to uh, pave the way for China's success. Now, truth, truth be told, he has not done away with the tariffs uh, against Chinese goods that President Trump put in place. But he has whittled away at those tariffs on the margins. For example, the Democrats in Congress and the Biden administration have increased uh, the value of the goods that can be shipped from China to the United States tariff-free from $200 to $1,000. That means that a lot of things that we buy from China now are able to skirt and avoid the tariffs that Trump put in place because the the uh, the value of the goods has to exceed $1,000 uh, before the tariff is imposed. So that's one way he's helped China. Uh, the other way he's helped China is there was a specific uh, anti-Chinese espionage program in place. Um, and when he took office on his first day in office, Joe Biden did away with that counter espionage program. So you see, uh, and this meeting with uh, this feel good meeting in San Francisco, where he extracts promises like uh, China is going to stop sending fentanyl and fentanyl precursors uh, to uh, to the northern Mexico cartels that are brought into the United States and kill 70, 80,000, 90,000 Americans each year. Uh, that's all That's all nonsense. This is the deadliest dr drug epidemic in, in U.S. history. Uh, most Americans know that the fentanyl comes from drugs run by Mexican cartels. What they don't know is that without shipments of the chemical precursors from China, the production of the of fentanyl in the cartel-run labs would grind to a halt. And the other thing that China does is they launder the billions and billions of dollars in profits that the cartels made, because if if China didn't launder the money for them, the cartels would be you know drowning in hard to hide cash, and their their money would not be investable. It wouldn't be portable, and so we have this supposed agreement to crack down on this. I will tell you that for the last ten years, and from the beginning of the fentanyl crises, the Chinese Communist Party leaders know exactly what factories in China are producing these fentanyl precursors. They know exactly who the middlemen are who are shipping the precursors to the northern Mexico cartels. They know exactly who's laundering the money. Because guess what? There's no fentanyl crises in China. Uh, people who try to sell that deadly drug in China are arrested and executed. But people who sell that deadly drug to Americans are encouraged. Why? Because we're in the middle of what I think is the, the third opium war. China's using the drug cartels in northern Mexico to wage a kind of proxy war on the United States and its citizens. And, you know, as an added bonus, as U.S. casualties mount, so does China's profits. So it's a win-win situation for them. Now, if Biden had, instead of saying, we have this agreement with Xi Jinping, he's going to stop fentanyl, if he had said, we're going to impose punitive tariffs on China until it stops the fentanyl trade, uh, we might have seen action. But simply getting promises from Xi Jinping, uh, they're not worth the paper they're written on. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, Xi Jinping has a peculiar, even for a Chinese communist leader, a peculiar animus for the United States that I don't think has been equaled since the days of Mao Zedong, who first proclaimed, as you know, 
back in the 1960s at least, one of their, their fundamental overarching imperatives was the ultimate defeat of the United States, that, that, that the Communist Party could not really achieve its goals until it had defeated its, 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 its rival. And Xi Jinping very much is in, is in that, same, that same mindset. And, you know, I mean, when I was in China recently, I mean, you, you could feel and see the malice of that individual uh, particularly after the COVID controversy started, and they had to had to scapegoat the Americans and foreigners in general for what was happening. Uh, it, you know, the word went out. Now it's time to hate foreigners, but you could tell it, the ultimate source was was the guy at the apex. And so, you know, people don't appreciate some people. I think you know, people like uh, uh, Peter Zion. I don't agree with a lot of what he says, but he is correct when he says, you know, Xi Jinping is is has made himself such a dictator that no one gives him any advice anymore. People are afraid to say anything. The, the, the country is basically run by him. His decisions are paramount. No one questions them. And, and, and so this is part of the, the, the reason for the mess that, you know, the growing economic and social catastrophe that's unfolding in, in China. This, uh, you know, something that hasn't been seen really in the lifetime of many, many young and middle-aged Chinese, which is an economic, really an economic freefall type, type yeah. situation. So, but, but I guess I, I think with the, with, the, with the time you have left, I, I want to just ask something that I think is very, very particular, of particular interest to a lot of our listenership and viewership. And that is that, you know, one counters a lot of people who say, uh, as they're also saying with, with the Russia-Ukraine war, well, it's really none of our business. We shouldn't be involved. And ultimately, what goes on with, between China and the Philippines or China and Japan or China and, uh, and Taiwan in particular— should be settled by them. The United States should be strictly non-interventionist, and only thusly can we recover our own own strengths. We really shouldn't be involved, and and we should just need to wash our hands of all of these these entanglements on the other side of the Pacific. Um, obviously, I mean, I mean, I don't personally agree with that, but a lot of people listening to the show are probably asking that question right now. Well, why are they even talking about this? Why aren't they just saying just forget about it? You know, get get out of there. Stop defending Taiwan. That way, you'll avoid World War Three. And all this sort of thing. Who cares about anything else? How would you answer uh, that sort of concern? Why should we worry about China? Why should we perceive them as a threat? Why should we indeed be confrontational at all? Well, I mean, uh, look, we are, we are actually reacting uh, to Chinese Communist Party aggression. It was Deng Xiaoping who back in 1991 said the old Cold War was over. Uh, this is after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And the new Cold War has now begun. He said, we're going to win this one. So China's been in a Cold War with us for the last 32 years. And it's a war they intend to win. And they intend to win it by encouraging Hamas to launch terrorist attacks against Israel. They intend to win it by helping to arm uh, Iran with nuclear weapons and destabilize the Middle East. They intend to win it by encouraging Putin to attack Ukraine and, and thus weaken uh, NATO. And they intend to win it by uh, breaking our, our, the first line of defense our first line of defense in the Far East, which stretches from South Korea through Japan, through Taiwan, through the Philippines, and down to Australia. Uh, and, and make no mistake, uh, the taking back of Taiwan uh, will not be the end of Chinese aggression. It will merely be uh, another step in what is a global plan to dominate the world. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The Declaration of Independence proclaims God-given rights, and we intend to protect them. 
working with people like you for over 50 years, preserving freedom and building a better tomorrow, safeguarding the Constitution by limiting government power. We are restoring liberties, educating voters, and leading the freedom movement. Join with us. United, we will defend our rights. We are all Americans. We are the John Birch Society. Uh, China doesn't believe in a peaceful coexistence. They believe at the end of the day that one country and one system will dominate the planet, and they intend for that country uh, to be the People's Republic of China and for that system to be communist totalitarianism. And if Taiwan falls, what you do is you give the Chinese People's Liberation Army, the Navy and Air Force, open access to the Pacific. Uh, the next stop is Guam uh, and Hawaii and the west coast of the United States. So I think you stop them now uh, before you face a greater conflagration in the future. And you don't do it necessarily by sending in American troops. You simply arm Taiwan. And you, Taiwan is perfectly capable of defending themselves. They now have invented a domestic, they're manufacturing a domestic cruise missile with a range capable of reaching Beijing. Uh, let's do what should have been done back in the 1970s. Let's allow Taiwan to arm itself with nuclear weapons. And in that case, they will become untouchable because the cost of invading Taiwan will be too high for the Chinese Communist Party to even contemplate. So let's let Taiwan, a first world country, a democracy, free China, as we used to call it, arm themselves, help them arm themselves, and we can prevent war from, uh, from breaking out. If you want peace, uh, prepare for war. And as far as, as, far as uh, uh, Xi Jinping, yeah, he's a megalomaniac. It, it, those whom the gods would destroy, they first make mad. Uh, Mao was mad at the end of his life. He was absolutely insane. And Xi Jinping is following the same trajectory. You cannot predict the irrational act of the irrational actor, but you can at least put in place defenses so that even he will have to think twice before lashing out against Taiwan. So uh, peace through strength. Uh, is true today as it has always been. We brought down the Soviet Union not by armed conflict. We brought it down, down by denying it technology, by denying it access to our capital, and by denying its products access to the U.S. consumer market. We can bring down the Communist Party in the same way. Cut off the technology, cut off the financing, cut off their access to American big box stores, and the system will collapse of its own weight. Communism will always collapse of its internal contradictions if it's not supported from abroad. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I hope you're proven right. I mean, I, I can't forbear mentioning that, that it's a, a little known fun fact that at least $15 billion of military hardware bought and paid for from the United States by Taiwan has yet to be shipped. And that includes lots of F-16s and all kinds of other things. Unlike the Ukraine, or Ukraine, I guess we're calling it now, you know, which tends to come hat in hand and, and so forth. I guess they don't really have much other option, but, but that's one of the complaints people have is, oh, you know, why are we sending all this money to Ukraine? Well, Taiwan has never asked us to send money. They've always come out and said, here, we're gonna, we want to buy this, this, and this, and then it gets authorized, but the stuff never actually shows up. So there seems to be an unseen hand in, in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere in the corridors of power in the United States and the greater West that's trying to prevent, you know, Taiwan even from getting the stuff that it pays for. 
let alone stuff that it would have developed decades ago, like you mentioned, a credible nu- nuclear deterrent, among many other things, that would turn the you know the the, the make the island in a, you know completely unconquerable. We have hedged up the way from day one, and now there are people who are saying, "Oh, but let's forget all about that. Let's just cut them loose, or let's not worry about it." And it's it's you know due to them what we did to Afghanistan and and other countries in the past, which I, I think would be a monumental a monumental mistake. Well, so what what do you see? Last word. What what do you see happening with China and the Chinese Communist Party over the next, let's say, five years or so? What is what's well, your prediction? Well, th- think about this: the the economy of China is in free fall. Number one, uh, they've got seventy or eighty empty apartment buildings. They've got massive uh, cities that have been built that are unoccupied. Uh, so the real estate crisis is real, and and a large part of the economy is based on the value of real estate. When that collapses. Uh, much of the economy will collapse with it. The state-owned enterprises in China are white elephants. They're all losing money. Uh, and not just a billion dollars here and a billion dollars there. We're talking uh, trillions of dollars in, in sunk costs that will never be recovered. We've got the Chinese Communist Party uh, because of its corruption, because of the cost of supporting 94 million members of the Chinese Communist Party. It eats up a third of the uh, production of China each year. A third of China's uh, GDP is probably consumed by corruption and just by supporting the Communist Party uh, leadership caste and the style to which they become accustomed. Uh, Xi Jinping is now funding his government uh, by confiscating the wealth of uh, corrupt Chinese Communist Party officials. And because they've con- because they are so corrupt, because they've been confiscating uh, through corruption their own wealth the wealth of the country for the last 30 years. There are trillions of dollars now that are in the pockets of Chinese Communist Party officials, millions of whom have now been cashiered, uh, arrested, and imprisoned by Xi Jinping. But but that's a game that you can only play for so long. You can only confiscate the wealth of the wealthy. You can only confiscate the wealth of corrupt Chinese Communist Party officials for so long. So that revenue stream is drying up. The misallocation of resources Uh, All of the problems that China has are now coming to a head. I suggest that we accelerate that process uh, in the way that I I talked about, denying them financing, uh, denying them access to our markets by raising the tariffs even further. And the system will collapse of its own weight uh, without the need of a shot being fired. Well, I I certainly share your hope. Um, You know, both of us have lived in China. We we have, you know, lo- know and love and respect the Chinese people, and it's a fantastic, amazing place, and it's it's a it's a monumental tragedy the state of affairs right now. So, so here's to better days eventually for 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 the long suffering people of China and for and for the world that we that we managed to get through this 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 epical crisis right now um, in the, in the manner that you describe. I, I hope you're right, Stephen Mosher. Thank you so much for your time and your generosity and your 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 insight in this issue, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you, Steve. Bye. Hey, folks, Paul Dragoo here. I hope you enjoyed Steve's interview. Usually in the last segment of the show, we discuss action. With the few minutes we have here, I wanted to highlight some free educational booklets that we make available so you can learn and then help others learn as well. Now, education is the main component of the John Birch Society's activism. Truth, as JBS founder Robert Welch liked to say, is our only weapon. By the way, All these booklets can be found at jbs.org. Just hit the education tab on the top right corner and then go to e-booklets. The first tool I wanted to highlight is our Back to Basics pamphlet. This valuable Slim Jim hits on the fundamental elements of Americanism, 
ones that we need to know and embrace if we're going to restore this great nation. Another valuable resource is Robert Welch's essay titled Republics and Democracies. Understanding that America is a republic and not a democracy may seem insignificant to some, but it's not. It's very important. The difference goes to the heart of whether we'll be governed by the rule of law or the whims of the majority. There's a reason that the globalists are always pushing the idea that we're a democracy. Then there is our Exposing Agenda 2030 booklet. Agenda 2030 is a sinister plan that's in play right now. The carbon capture pipelines, the EV push, the international green treaties designed to strip our national sovereignty away. That is all part of Agenda 2030. This booklet is designed to help people understand one of the globalist's most diabolical plans. It helps you understand how those plans are at play and how they affect you. Now, the more people realize this plan, the better our chances are of defeating it. And I think we got a heck of a chance of defeating them. And the last item that I'll mention is our Birchin booklet. It's essentially an advertisement for our parent company, the John Birch Society. Now see, the JBS was founded after Mr. Welch discovered that the globalists planned to destroy the U.S. and create a new world order. The JBS was the most influential organization to point this out. And for that, it has relentlessly been attacked by mainstream media. For 65 years, they have been attacking the John Birch Society, and they've labeled them all sorts of unsavory labels that are not true. In Birchin, we highlight a number of issues that the JBS warned about way before they became apparent. We also show how if it weren't for the JBS, we'd likely already be living under one world totalitarianism. So go to JBS.org, hit the education tab, then e-booklets, and download for free all the booklets you want. And we encourage you to share these with your friends and family. You can email them. You can text them, perhaps, if you download them, especially to your, to your phone. But there's a reason we have made these available. There's a reason we have made them available for free, because we want you to help understand. We want to help you understand what's at stake here, how it works, and we want you to help create that understanding. Robert Welch liked to say, education is our total strategy and truth is our only weapon. And we thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the New American Daily. And remember, you can go to thenewamerican.com and you can get way more truth behind the news. Again, thenewamerican.com. So please join us again next time.